Christine and I met each other the winter before we both headed off to Grove City College, and during our first uh, week there at this freshman event, I was her square dance partner, believe it or not, and that was exciting, probably more for me than it was for her, but we did have a, a great time together. Now, to nail square dancing, you have to keep a few things in mind. One, move to the music. Uh, Two, follow the caller's instruction. And three, uh, keep step with your partner and the other people in your dance uh, set. Imagine me ignoring the the caller's uh, instructions and busting the move to uh, rapper's delight while Christina and everyone else do-si-do to oh Susanna. Um, Maybe I would have lost Christina forever. Who knows, Uh, even though we weren't dating at the time. Synchronization is the key. Synchronization is the key. Dance collapses without conformity. Uh, Good square dancers must conform to the music, the caller, and their partner and dance set. Now, there is a nonconformist in all of us. Uh, We do what we want to do, but conformity makes things work. Uh, Square dancing, technology, sports, and yes, worship. To worship rightly, we must orient and conform ourselves to Christ and the rhythm of his authoritative word. Innovation in worship collapses worship. Conformity to God's word creates worship which pleases God. If we understand conformity in worship rightly, we will also understand that conformity doesn't actually inhibit or, or uh, restrain our worship. It liberates us to maximize our joy and pleasure in worship. There are incredible rewards, incredible rewards for those willing to orient and conform their worship to Christ and his word. How should you hear this text? When you hear, and now, O priests, this command is for you, don't don't think to yourself, oh, this is for priests, I'm not a priest. Hopefully I can help you see how this applies to you. Here's, Here's how to hear these verses. Number one, the original context. The original context. God was addressing the post exilic Uh, priests of Israel, and like the people, the priests were spiritually anemic, uh, probably worse off because they were worship leaders. They had a role and responsibility uh, in Israel. Knowing the original context will help you apply this to your life. Number two, every believer is a priest. Every believer is a priest. Did you know that you, as a believer, are a priest? The theological term is the priesthood of all believers. The Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the final and preeminent priest. Uh, But listen to what 1 Peter 2, verse 5 and 9 say about Christians now. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Christ's followers are a royal priesthood. Every believer is a priest. 
Every believer is a priest. Through their great and preeminent high priest, Jesus Christ, all believers offer spiritual sacrifices to God from their hearts and from their bodies. So we all bear the responsibility to worship in spirit and in truth in our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Malachi 2 is God's word for you as a priest, for me as a priest. Three, elders particularly those who preach and teach. Elders are not modern-day priests. They do not stand between God and the people as mediators. There is one mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ. But similar to priests, elders have the responsibility and privilege to teach God's people God's word and to lead them with shepherding care. Titus 1, verse 9, is about elders. Paul wrote this. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul told uh, young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 to devote himself to teaching. Like priests, elders are teachers for the people. I believe it was Dr. R.C. Sproul who wrote this, pastors and elders are appointed to teach the church the will of God from his word, but they do not represent us before the heavenly throne like the Levitical priests did under the administration of the old covenant. You have one priest, Jesus Christ, but God has graciously given you multiple elders uh, to teach God's word. To you, so that you can benefit. He has given you these elders to keep watch over your souls, as Hebrews 13, verse 17 talks about. And Malachi 2 helps you better understand, in part, how elders should love and serve you. Elders, listen up. Listen up. You need to pay close attention to this. So, here, Malachi 2, in its original context, hear it as a priest, and Hear it as people beneath the loving and shepherding care of your elders. If you hear it these three ways, I think you're going to get a lot more out of Malachi 2. I have two primary points this morning. The first one is this. Refusing to orient and conform our worship to God's word brings devastating consequences. And number two... Choosing to orient and conform our worship to God's word brings pleasurable rewards. Hopefully the disturbing language of Malachi 2 serves to solidify in us how serious it is to disregard God's word in order to go our own way. Even in worship of Almighty God. Here's point number one. Refusing to orient and conform our worship to God's word has devastating consequences. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. The phrase and now connects back to what God has just said. So in light of all that we've covered thus far in this series, God confronts the priest with a strong but loving warning. I think command here refers to God's call for the priest to return to 
conformity to the covenant he made with the Levites or the priesthood, a command to honor God's great name uh, by superintending pure and passionate worship in the temple. God's warning came in the form of a conditional statement, an if-then statement. If you do not A, then B will inevitably follow. Here's an example. If you do not obey the law, then the police will come after you. That's a conditional statement. If the priests would not listen to God, if they would not take his law to heart, if they would not honor his great name, then God would send a curse upon them. He would curse their their blessings. God's curse was conditioned upon their continued willful rebellion. Because of their willful rebellion, rebellion, God had already cursed them. The end of verse 2 shows that. If they persisted, more was coming. They could expect more. But, but, this is the great thing. Marvelous grace and joy are implicit in God's conditional statement. Can you see this? Here's what I mean. God said, if you will not listen, then I will send the curse upon you, which implies that if they did listen... If they did repent and reform and walk in righteousness, then God would not send the curse. Instead, God would bless them. Do you see how that's implied in that same statement? God spoke in the negative in verse 2, but the positive was equally as true. Here's an example. Let's say Christina uh, tells Jeremiah and Maria, if you don't finish your schoolwork before lunch, then I will withhold from you a delicious hot fudge sundae. Okay, that's a negative statement. But the positive is equally true, and it would go something like this. If you do finish your work before lunch, then I will give you a hot fudge sundae to enjoy. You see, they're, they're, they're essentially the same, the same statement. They say the same thing. Inherent in God's warning were grace and covenant blessings. God cursed the priest's blessings, which could mean the blessings they received as priests or the priestly blessings, or you could say benedictions, that they were pronouncing upon the people. Some believe blessings refers to all the blessings associated with the the priestly office functions and rewards. Whatever the precise meaning of that, God's curse is undesirable. We don't want to be cursed by God. Ignoring God's word and indulging in our own innovations in worship comes with devastating consequences. Verse 3, God says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring... And spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. That's that's devastating language. First, God would rebuke their offspring or their seed, uh, which creates a, a little dilemma there. It could refer to descendants because seed often refers to descendants. But it also could refer to uh, agricultural failure. They're not going to come into farming success, and both of which would be terrible judgment upon the people and even impact the coming generations. Second, let me, let me um, explain this dung reference, uh, which 
is pretty severe. God required priests to be clean and pure to serve in his temple. Uh, so they washed regularly in basins that were, that were inside of the temple in order to be ceremonially clean, ceremonially pure. And God also gave priests uh, specific instructions for how to handle animal sacrifices. This is explained in various places in the Old Testament, but listen to Leviticus 4, verses 11 and 12, and you'll get the idea. But the skin of the bull... And all its flesh, with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, to the ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. Animal entrails filled with excrement are gross, dirty, impure, and they should be taken away from the purity and the holiness of God's temple where worship happens, and they should be burned outside of the camp. Having animal dung smeared on their faces would defile the priests, rendering them unclean and unworthy to do their their thing, their priestly thing. Unworthy for temple service. The imagery of verse 3 is God's rejection. It's God's judgment on the stubborn and recalcitrant priests. And just like dung, the priests needed to be taken away from the clean and pure temple. God is zealous for purity. He will not tolerate gross uncleanness. Away with the priests. God added something terrifying. You shall be taken away with it. If the priests would not listen, they would be taken away with the dung. And the implication is to be burned. God's judgment, his severe justice upon the priests. The consequences of defying God are unbearable. Unbearable. Jump down to verses 8 and 9. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. The priest had turned aside from righteousness, from holiness, from walking with God in obedience to his law. And they had corrupted this beautiful and joyful covenant of Levi. This not only affected them, it affected the people that they were appointed to lead. God told them, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. God appointed priests to help the people, to lead them to God, close to God in worship. But instead, their teaching was leading people away from God and right into barefaced sin, iniquity. It was devastating. So God made them hated. God humiliated them before the people. But there is grace in verse 9. You have to look closely. God added, inasmuch 
as you do not keep my ways. So if they did keep his ways, they would be blessed. They would be blessed with obedience. They had a choice to make. Sadly, there are so many pastors and churches today who are not listening to God. They are not taking his commands to heart, nor are they honoring his name. They have turned aside from God's way. Their instruction actually leads people to stumble away from God. It seems like many pastors and churches are concerned more about orienting and conforming to culture than they are to Scripture. It's devastating. Malachi warns that the curse of God is for those who refuse to keep his ways. Friends, our heart in worship and how we worship are really, really important to God. He cares very deeply. He's not going to overlook things. The consequences for refusing to orient and conform our worship to Scripture, they're unbearable. They're devastating. Now point two, and then I'll finish with some application. Number two, choosing then to orient and conform our worship to God's word brings enjoyable rewards, pleasurable rewards, amazing things. Look at verse four. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. The name Levi, along with the pronouns him and he, uh, most likely refer to the tribe of Levi, Uh, from where the priests originated. God was warning the priests in order to uphold his gracious covenant with the Levites. He, He summoned them back to himself and to faithfulness to his gracious covenant in order to pour blessings upon them. The priests held a position of privilege, but it meant nothing without trust in God and conformity to his law. What would their position mean? God would cut them off from his covenant if they did not honor the covenant, yet blessing would come if they repented, if they trusted God, if they reformed their worship and walked in righteousness. Now, what did Malachi mean by covenant of Levi? First, Levi was the third son of Jacob and Leah, and the priesthood descended from Levi. Scripture doesn't say a lot about God's covenant with Levi, Numbers 3.45 adds a bit of clarity. God said, the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. Okay, so they they were set apart for him. And and then Numbers 18.19 adds this. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you, to the Levites, and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt. Uh, forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. Salt suggests preservation and, um, and perpetual provision for the priests. That, that was really good for them. Then Numbers 25 adds a bit more clarity. God made a covenant with Phinehas, one of Levi's descendants. Phinehas, a priest, uh, had great zeal for the Lord, did something radical. You should look it up and read the story. It was bloody. Um, and, and, and his zeal actually protected Israel from the wrath of God. And the covenant went like this. And I think you'll recognize the language. God told Moses, Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. 
And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Now listen to Malachi 2 verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in all of my name. So, so what a gracious and good covenant it was. Uh, it, it was a covenant of life. And peace or shalom, a wellness, prosperity. And God gave the Levitical priesthood that life and peace. It, it is also, or was also, a covenant of fear. And many of the previous Levites feared God and they served faithfully uh, in the tabernacle and temple. How? They stood in awe of God's holy and great name. And that all influenced everything they did as priests. Verse 5 represents this leadership, faithfulness of previous Levitical priests. Uh, Their fear and honor of God led them to a faithful teaching ministry. They learned God's law, loved God's law, lived God's law, and lectured God's law. Now verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned many from iniquity. Notice three things from verse 6. Number one, true instruction was in his mouth. Preceding faithful priests not only had God's word in their minds, they had God's word in their mouths, which, which means that they were teaching the truth of God to the people. It was in their mouths. They were faithful teachers. Number two, no wrong was in his lips, on his lips. Their teaching was not mixed with deception. It wasn't mixed with man-made doctrines. They taught God's pure doctrine alone. And number three, he walked with God in peace and uprightness. Preceding priests, uh, faithful priests, they walked with God. They, They loved him. They obeyed him. Their lifestyle of peace and uprightness was a model for the people. They walked in a manner that was worthy of the truth of God. And as they did that, how did that then translate to the people? How did that impact the people? Well, number four, he turned many from iniquity. That is so significant. Please don't miss this. Through their faithful teaching and lifestyle, faithful Levitical priests helped people turn from sin. And walk in the blessings of God. Choosing to orient and conform our worship to God's word brings pleasurable rewards, enjoyable rewards, great blessings for ourselves and for others that we influence. Verse 7 confirms what the role and responsibility of the priests were. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. A a Levitical priest was a sort of gatekeeper of healthy and sound doctrine. Orthodox doctrine, knowledge, is God's truth or his revealed will in Scripture. And the priests were to learn it, to love it, to live it, and to lecture it. Dr. McKay noted something important. He said this, the prophet directly received a specific word from God, whereas the priest is the interpreter and applier of what has already been revealed. 
priests were messengers of the Lord sent to explain God's already revealed will to the people, to explain the law, to teach the law. Priests were expositors. Priests were commentators. Priests were professors of God's law. The people then had the responsibility to seek out instruction from the priests for their own good, for for their own spiritual growth, for their own holiness. That's so important. The people of God hunger for the word of God, and God graciously gives them messengers or expositors to help them in their pursuit of truth and in their pursuit of holiness. Priests were doctrinal guardians. They honored and feared God's great name inasmuch as they oriented and conformed worship to God's will. As they did, God blessed them. And so here here are some of the pleasurable rewards, either explicit or implicit in these verses. God's great name would be honored through them. God would make them a blessing to the people. God would count them clean and pure for his temple service. God would give them great blessings of the Levitical covenant. God would give them life and peace to enjoy. God's name would fill their hearts with awe. God's people would respond to their faithful teaching ministry. God would produce fruit through their peaceful and upright lifestyle. God would use them to help people turn from iniquity. And God would raise them up as defenders of knowledge and truth. Oh, the blessings of honoring and fearing Almighty God. Malachi 2, 1 through 9, it's tough. It's tough. But it's gracious. All who take it to heart can can find peace, can find joy for their soul. The most important thing uh, that you need to see is how this connects with our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the preeminent priest who takes God's law to heart and wholly honors God's great name. He fulfilled the Levitical covenant perfectly. Life and peace are his. He fears God and stands in awe of God's name without any hint of irreverence or apathy or revolt. Not only is, is true instruction in his mouth, He is the word of God incarnate. No falsehood is ever on his lips. Jesus walks with God in absolute peace and uprightness. And his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection turn many from iniquity and inevitable condemnation. Not only did he perfectly guard knowledge, not only was he filled with perfect knowledge, he is perfect knowledge incarnate. The wise sought out and continue to seek out instruction from him because he is the ultimate messenger. Do you know what your faithful high priest Jesus Christ has done for you in his complete and utter perfection, in his innocence, in his holiness, in his impartiality, in his righteousness? He took our place and became cursed for us. He was humiliated for us. He was despised and abased for us. And after riding into Jerusalem, like the entrails and dung of the sacrifices, Jesus Christ was taken outside the city to become sin and to be slaughtered on the cross as the final 
and perfect sacrifice sufficient to cancel the debt of sin and remove the condemnation of God from everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Him alone. Where all the priests of Israel failed, Jesus Christ was and is the perfect priest of God who did exactly what the priest should have done. He is our one perfect and prized and beautiful and majestic and faithful and glorious priest. He is our mediator. He is our unblemished sacrifice whose atonement has freed us from the tyranny of sin and liberated us to worship God in spirit and in truth in an acceptable way that actually brings pleasure to God. Listen to Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God saved you to conform you to Christ and the word of Christ. He saved you to conform you. So as we are conformed to Christ, we progressively orient and conform our worship to the word of Christ. And in that progressive conformity, God blesses us. God blesses us. We could call this sanctification. The process of being made more and more like Jesus Christ. In that process of conformity to Christ, our worship is being reformed according to the word of God. More and more, year after year, little step by little step, a little surge, a little bit more, a little bit more over the course of your life, our sacrifice of worship to God is becoming a little bit more pure, a little bit more sanctified, a little bit more passionate. Malachi 2 is a word for us. We need to hear this. We can point the, point the finger at priests from the Old Testament, but come on. This is for us. This is for us. And, and in this text is Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest, who has the power to work in us that which is pleasing to our God, to our Father. As long as we trust him, as long as we are united to him, as long as we are in step with him. Oh, what he does for us. I, I hope as you read Malachi 2, you can make the connection to your life because that's the point. Understand it as it is, but then make the connection to you. All right, maybe Dr. Ian Duguid can help you make the connection. He writes this, and I think this is very helpful. Just listen closely to this. It's, it's wonderfully put. We are not priests of the Levitical order. Yet as New Testament believers, we are all part of a new kind of priesthood. As such, we all have a duty to declare God's word to our neighbors and to the nations around us. We are called ambassadors of Christ, charged as his messengers with applying his word rightly to those around us so that many might be turned away from iniquity and be reconciled by God through Christ. If we fail to declare that message of challenge and good news faithfully because we fear human beings more than we fear the living God, then we are guilty of the same offense 
as the priests of Malachi's day. Alternatively, if we are only willing to confront some of the people, some of the time, with their need to repent while allowing others to continue on unchecked in their sin, we have failed in our priestly calling. End of quote. You are a priest, a guardian of knowledge, an instructor of God's revealed will or truth. It is your duty to proclaim God's word to others in order to turn many from iniquity to their greatest peace and joy and shalom in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You are a messenger. You have a great calling and ministry. All of you are teachers or educators or professors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you sit passively, unwilling to teach others how to worship God rightly, you neglect your responsibility as a priest and you miss out on all of the tremendous blessings of being a faithful priest. Dr. Duguid added this, the priestly duty is incumbent on all believers, but it is especially profound for those who are charged with the regular ministry of preaching God's word. So listen up, Pastor Jonathan. Listen up, elders. This is profoundly for you. It is profoundly for me. And I know that our elders take their responsibility and their role with great seriousness before God. And we are striving, oh, are we striving to grow and mature so that we can be more more focused on Christ in his word, more faithful to Christ in his word, more fruitful in Christ and his word. We want to be faithful to you. We don't take texts like this lightly. We have a responsibility to you, but you also have a responsibility because we're not your priests. We're your elders. I'm just a man that God has called to preach and to try to help you by teaching. Don't look at me like a priest. I'm not your priest. I can't do what Jesus Christ can do for you. I can't stand between you and God. Don't look at me to do that. Don't look at our elders to do that. Jesus stands between you. He is your mediator. He is your priest. And he very lovingly and graciously has given you spirit-filled men that are trying very hard to lead you well and to teach you God's word so that you may be blessed by it. And I know some of you have been so deeply blessed by the elders of our church. So let me get up a little personal. How are you doing with your role and responsibility as priest? It's yours. You're either faithful or you're not. How are you doing with that? Are you listening to God? Are you taking his word to your heart? Is true biblical instruction filling your mouth? That you have something to say that matches with God's word? Are you walking with God in peace and uprightness? Are you helping many others turn from iniquity? Are you guarding knowledge? And do others seek instruction from your mouth? It doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian. It doesn't matter how smart you are. 
or how much you think you know or how much you think you don't know about the Bible, you can always teach someone, a child, a, a, a cousin, a co-worker, somebody is out there that I guarantee knows a lot less than you. Find them and teach them. All right, my, my son Andrew is not supposed to touch the floor lamp that we have inside of our uh, living room. Well, he still does. He still goes after the thing. We've warned him. Um, but the other night, Andrew was heading toward the lamp. No, son. Uh, and we warned him. He stopped in his tracks. He turned from the lamp, and he walked away. Okay? He walked away from the lamp. He didn't touch the lamp. He wanted to touch the lamp. That was, that was his M.O., moving towards the lamp. Nope, not going to do it. Heeding the warning. Andrew turns. We were all so proud of Andrew uh, for doing that. He modeled repentance for his siblings. He modeled repentance for his parents. You may feel in, totally inadequate to, to, to teach people how to orient and conform all of their life to God's word. You may feel totally, even though you've been in the church for 400 years, you may be like, man, I can't let the pastor do it. I can't do it. Listen, if a one-year-old can do it, don't you think you can do it? I think so. The Spirit can use you. The Spirit will use you to teach others if you trust Him. Live, live for Jesus Christ with everything that you possibly have. And then teach what you know. And if you don't know very much, learn something. Then teach that something to someone else. Learn what you know. Live for Jesus. Help others. You don't have to be a PhD in theology. You don't have to be a PhD in Bible. There's one guy threatening to be that. I'm not. Tim, we love you. We're rooting for you. I want to call you Doc, all right? Because the Tim thing is crazy. Doc, I, man, that will be so helpful. Please finish it, all right? <laughs> oh, I love you, brother. You're amazing. Teach, teach what you know. Teach what you know. God will bless you when you obey him to teach what you know and learn and keep up and i promise you it will be worth it let's pray father in heaven thank you so much for your word thank you that you are giving us perfect and clear instructions of how to worship you and what to do in together when we come together your your bible says things about what we the church the temple the true temple the people of god are supposed to do when we gather for worship and so we just need to look at the text and allow your spirit to work in us that we offer you acceptable worships. I, I pray, God, that we would not reject orienting and conforming our worship to your word because the, the, the consequences are too devastating. We don't want those. We want blessings to be blessed by knowing and honoring and fearing you. And so I pray that as a church, we choose to orient and conform all of our worship, all of our life, all of our person to Jesus Christ and his word that we can experience the pleasurable blessings of community with you. We love you, God. We need help. And so I ask that you show us very clearly from your word, by your spirit, how we can most glorify and exalt and 
exult in you. Thank you, God, for being faithful and gracious to us. We love you, and we want to we wanna do it better. We want to do it purer. We want to do it with more passion. So would your spirit very kindly and gently help us to do that? All for your fame.